This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. Sheets and Giggles bedding consists of sustainably made 400 thread count eucalyptus sheets that are static-free, moisture-wicking, use no insecticides or pesticides, and are half the cost of their store-bought competition. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at SheetsGiggles. You might have heard the term circular economy thrown around before, but what does it actually mean? Well, in theory, it revolves around eliminating waste and the continual use of resources. But when it comes to the fashion industry's practices, one company's definition often doesn't match up with the others. In today's episode, Lisa and I sit down with Paul Dillinger, the Vice President, Head of Global Product Innovation and Premium Collection Design for Levi Strauss & Company. We all know that Levi's stands for quality and longevity in their products. They have been in business for over 163 years after all. But we had a fascinating conversation with Paul about a new type of denim that Levi's has developed that can actually be recycled into new pairs of jeans over and over again, not just recycled for other purposes like insulation, etc. Lisa and I learned a ton, and I know you will too. Let's get into it. Okay, welcome to Good Together, Paul. We're so excited to have you. I'm really excited to be talking to you all today. This is a, a great time. Uh, we've got some exciting, um, exciting product, and it's a really, I don't know, it's an interesting time to think about changing the way we've been consuming, changing the way we've been designing and making. And, and so it seems like a, a nice inflection point for all of us to, to sort of Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think right now we all are faced with more time than ever before on our hands. It's giving us a great opportunity to be mindful, like you just mentioned. Um, but yes, yeah, so listeners, we're super excited to have Paul Dillinger on the Good Together podcast. Uh, Paul is the Vice President, Head of Global Product Innovation and Premium Collection Design for Levi Strauss and Company. And I love that we're having the chance to talk with Paul for many reasons, but one reason is because 
when we think about heritage craft American brands that are known for products that last a long time, I think everyone has Levi's pop into their head. And I'm not just saying that. I think it's just been a brand that we've all trusted for years. So the fact that Levi's is taking a step towards circular fashion, we're super excited. Um, so Paul, I wonder if you wanted to give us a really brief intro um, of yourself and sort of what you do at Levi's. Okay, sure. Um, well, thank you for that introduction. I am, um, it's a fancy title and it's, uh, but it, it's easiest to just say I'm a fashion designer. Uh, that's, that was my training. I went to uh, undergraduate and graduate school to get my BFA and my MFA in fashion design, and I, uh, I design clothes. Um, but uh, Levi's, there's a recognition that um, beyond just the seasonal cycle, the you know spring clothes, fall clothes, you know spring shows, fall shows. Um, beyond that, just sort of uh, six month normal fashion cadence, there are some design challenges that take more time. There are some um, opportunities that, you, you know, you, you can't really, you can't tackle a problem, resolve it, deliver it in, in just a season. Sometimes the real big changes, they need to, a little more time to be cultivated, researched, developed, and, more, and thoughtfully executed. And those sorts of projects fall to me. So rather than designing for next fall or next spring, I'm, I'm thinking about um, a systems-based approach to changing the design methodology entirely uh, five years from now, or new materials that might actually deliver value 10 years from now. It's more of a, um, it's a, a, the fashion skill set, but on a set, of, set to a longer view. And, uh, and which is interesting because we're at a company that, that sort of straddles this, uh, I'm at a company that straddles the, the fashion versus utility space. You know, Levi's were essentially a tool at first for miners to make the, uh, you know, up the up the gold fields. And 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 our but but we were, our value was predicated on technical innovation, right? It was the adding the copper rivet to a garment that was wearing out in certain spots, and we added that rivet and it made it strong in those spots. And then we patented it, and then we became like the, we created this whole uh, this whole category, became the world's biggest purveyor of denim, which then slowly changed from being a tool to being an object of fashion. So at once we're this company that has invented a durable thing and it's durable both in the form and also emotionally durable that people love their jeans and they last and they become like good friends. But we're also part of a fashion cycle and we do seasonal product and we try to stay relevant and, and stay ahead of trend and, 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 and um, resonant with the, uh, with um, contemporary consumers. And so there's a, a dynamic tension in the, um, the, the in Levi's in this sort of struggle to understand is sort of carefully weaving those two together. Absolutely. And I'm so glad to hear that Levi's is taking kind of this stance and uh, your career to Levi's is kind of signifies how important this direction is for the company. Um, so for the next question, I want to ask to kind of get straight into the meaty part of our discussion. The focus of our conversation today is circular fashion, right? It's a relatively new term and probably it's not well known to the consumers at large. So Paul, I was wondering if you can define this term for us what circular fashion is, what it is not, and what it means for Levi's specifically? Sure, that's a great question. Um, uh, so circular so when we, when we think about Levi's, when we first designed the first, say, 501, back then it was called the XX, you know, maybe 130, 140 years ago. Um, no, we, we purchased the fabric, we made the garment, we sold it, and that was sort of the end of our consideration of that. Um, 
Now, if, if we had anticipated that we would be making so many, um, if we thought, really thought through at that time, are we making this gene in a way that it, at the end of its life, it can be used or useful, or that it not be problematic? Most, most products are not considered that way. Um, you know, uh, we, I don't think whoever invented, uh, whoever is the first person to invent the cell phone, I don't think they ever imagined that every person on the planet would have them, have one almost. Um, and if they had, they would probably have put a little more thought in maybe a technology that wasn't dependent on um, rare earth minerals that are so hard to find, right? That, that we've, we've designed ourselves in so many cases into corners where the um, industries that we are so excited about when, when they're born become these behemoths that produce un, um, unanticipated consequences. And in, in the case of fashion, you've got a tremendous amount of waste um, from the huge excesses product being made, sold, and quickly discarded. But you've also got tremendous impact on the material creation side, right? In the case of Levi's, for example, um, we have a life cycle assessment that tells us about uh, the wa fresh water used over the full life of the garment from the material cultivation all the way through its use phase and end of life. It's about 3,781 liters of fresh water. That's, you know, almost enough fresh water for five people for a year for drinking water. Now, um, for one gene, 3,781 years. Now, I'm, but just on the material side of that, just growing the cotton, 68% of that, so about 2,565 liters. So this inordinate amount of a resource impact on the material creation, and then conventionally there's been an assembly process that doesn't consider the end of life and how do you, how can that garment, is that garment optimized for the recovery of the value of that material? And in the case of cotton, there have never been really good technologies that would even allow for the responsible recovery and reuse. Yet, you know, there's a lot of um, talk about, you know, we, well, you can recycle it and turn it into insulation. I'm like, well, that's great, but we need to turn it into new genes because uh, turning it into insulation is fine, but it, it doesn't decrease that, you know, 3,781 liter impact for the garment or the 2,565 liter impact specifically for the cotton. So the, circular, cir the idea of circular fashion is to, uh, do you, can, to create full industrial systems, industrial ecosystems, where, whereby the product that we make and then sell can be built out of old product that preceded it, prior generations of product, and is designed in a way that it can be active and actively and easily deconstructed and then recovered and then turned into a new garment. And this there. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, I just want to jump in here because I think it's so interesting that um, in, in general, when people get a pair of leggings that is using, um, you know, plastic bottles, for instance, they are excited about that. But what they don't realize is once those leggings are done, they're not really going to be recycled, obviously, into new leggings. <laughs> right. Right. Or, I mean, or what if, I mean, what if those leggings were actually blend of recovered plastic bottles in the form of polyester and, a bl and, and cotton, you know, there's a lot of 50, 50 cotton poly garments out there. Well, good, good for you for, for valuing the, re the recovery of that plastic bottle, taking the plastic bottle out of the landfill, but by creating an intimate blend fiber, blending cotton with polyester, almost impossible to decouple those. So you've expressed the value of recycling for one generation, but you haven't really closed the loop on the thinking 
and, and considered, well, can that thing that has been recycled then further, again, be recycled? And, and so many, so often, one of the challenges with the sustainability conversation is that we get, we get really, we're really proud of ourselves for single attributes, single components. Oh, this is recycled plastic bottles. But great, has it been assembled into a garment that is entirely made out of recycled plastic bottles such that the recycling of that garment is easy and uh, efficient and doesn't generate a lot of waste. So if you were to design with recycled plastic bottles, you would want to make sure, you know, um, let's say I was going to design a Sherpa fleece um, trucker jacket. Well, I would need the, both the exterior material to be all recycled plastic or at least a, a, a like material um, and the Sherpa lining, but also all the labels. I would need the snaps up the front to be made out of the, like, it, you'd have to have every component, the thread, the interfacing, the care country of origin and content labels, all of it made out of the same exact type of, um, of, of, of polymer. And in fact, that is, that is what we do. That is, we have a small area of Levi's that is focused on that kind of highly disciplined deconstruction of the material assembly and reconfiguration of that assembly to make sure it's always like materials that are optimized for an eventual end of life recovery system. And so we've done that with nylon board shorts where absolutely every component is made out of nylon. And then when it's done, it just drops into a nylon recovery system. With polyester, we've done that. We've also been doing that with cellulosic, starting initially with pure cotton garments and blending cotton linen, cotton hemp. And um, each, each season we're tackling a new technical material challenge. But each of these seasonal challenges are generally backed up by three or four years of R&D. Because here's the kick with circularity and circular fashion. It's really popular and really sort of got a lot of great buzz in, in sort of like the executive tiers of the fashion industry because it, it, it is offered up as a promise that you can, you can continue with your rampant consumption and excessive growth and you can do it and you can forgive yourself all of your guilt over your environmental impact because you're now, you're circular, yay. And it sort of becomes this excuse, double the business, half the impact, you know, this idea that we could, you, you don't have to constrain consumption. But in fact, what circularity is, is when it's done correctly, it is so disciplined and does put legitimate constraints on what can and can't be made. You don't, you don't have all the choices that you have with normal fashion. You have to give up a few, few things. If you do it right and make a true a garment that's truly viable for circular recovery and redeployment, the complexity actually constrains the industry. The a true circular industry wouldn't be wouldn't be able to double its size with zero impact. What it would actually probably be is half the size and the right size impact. And it so it's um, a lot of times it's discussed as the circ it's, um, the circular economy. And discussing it as an economy presupposes its profitability. We need to understand it as a circular ecosystem. And if, in fact, the economy doesn't prove to be profitable, that's just the truth. Um, it, it, we, we have to let the science and the, and the limitations of our, our access to national resources be a legitimate constraint and not, not approach it as this sort of flywheel for, for massive business growth mm -hmm. without guilt. I love I love that thinking. This is um, such music to our ears to hear from you guys. Uh, you know that you are going into you know circular fashion and producing this material, putting all of the resources and work into it, knowing that this is actually the ultimate true mission of circular fashion, and not just like 
again, as you're saying, continuing with our consumption habits um, that cannot be sustained uh, as they are right now. Well, um, here we're getting into one of our, uh, my favorite parts of this discussion is, of course, uh, your new well-thread, uh, uh, your well-thread denim line. I'm actually wearing the jeans right now. Uh, they, this line is billed as Levi's most sustainable jean yet. It's made out of 60% organic cotton and 40% circulose. We'll talk about it in more detail, of course, but it's a breakthrough material made from worn out textiles. In this case, 50% recycled denim and 50% sustainably sourced viscose. And it's very comfortable. Again, I can vouch for that. We don't forget, uh, also, we don't want to forget your partner on this project, a Swedish startup called Renew Cell that has been working on a solution to recycle textile waste since 2012. A year and a half ago, uh, Renew Cell, they opened a recycling plant outside of Stockholm, which can produce 7,000 tons of circulose, a fashion raw material made from textile waste every year. That's enough to make 30 million t-shirts. That's amazing. But even 30 million t-shirts is just the start. So Paul, I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us all the details about this campaign. Where are you right now uh, with this line, with this campaign, and where, where do you see it going? Well, I, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you have the gene, that you, that you touch it, feel it. And so let's, let's level set that. Does it, does, it look, does it look and feel like a gene? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. See, yeah. I would never and, tell the difference. Yeah. Right. And so, so, let's, so what, why this technology is so meaningful is to under, first understand where recycling technology has been. Um, you know, you, you, there have been, there's been product on, um, on the market that you could, that has been made with recycled cotton for, for a while. But normally when you're up until now, when you've been recycling cotton, you're, you're, you're taking um, a, 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 uh, you, you have long, long fibers of cotton that have been grown. They've been spun together and twisted together to make a yarn. That yarn has been woven into a fabric and that fabric has been made into a garment. Then you're taking that garment and you're hacking it up to pieces because you have to unmake the garment, unweave the fabric, unspin the yarn. Well, you end up, and the only way to do that up until now has been to just start chopping it, chopping it, and chopping it. So you end up with really like short, what we call staple. The staple length is the, the, the natural length of the fiber. You, you, you come up with really, really short staple cotton. And when the cotton staple length is short, you can't twist it into a fine, long, strong yarn. You have to blend it with, with um, virgin material that has that natural strength. So even though maybe a gene could have 15% recycled cotton, which is the absolute sort of threshold that you would put recycled into denim and still have it maintain its strength, um, what would be happening is over a very short period of time after home laundries, um, because this normal recycled cotton has been that short, fine, little short, fuzzy staple, it just washes out. That's the dryer lint that you find, that you collect from the dryer anytime you put your clothes in the dryer. It's the, it's the, it's the sad little short um, recycled yarn. So they just fall right out. So you may have started with 15% recycled content in, in a conventional scenario, but after about maybe three or four home laundries, your garment's just 15% lighter because all of that recycled cotton's just been washed away. This is a totally different, yeah, yeah. This is a totally different approach. What does it says instead of chopping up, chopping it up and just making using it as poor quality cotton, this process um, using totally uh, green uh, chemistry system um, pulps old cotton, breaks it down to a base level uh, cellulose, which is sort of the, the plant material that all plants are made out of. 
um, and it turns it into sort of a goo, right, that can, is then blended with the goo of responsibly sourced wood, and it is re-extruded into a long, continuous filament yarn. And um, it, it makes something like a, uh, like a lias, so like a, um, think about a, 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 if rayon were sustainable, it, would, it, could, it could be a, a more of a rayon-like feeling. So um, there are lots of different forms of, of viscoses out there. And this one happens to be made out of 50% old denim, but it's reconfigured and reprocessed in a way that, that actually creates a, frankly, a better full long um, filament fiber that has properties of softness, but it also has properties of strength. And this doesn't wash out. This does, doesn't like go away. This is actually a really, really high quality yarn. And it, it, plus this added feature of softness. Um, so what we've done is actually taken the cotton, recovered it and, and actually improved it. Um, and, and so now this is, right now this, this garment claims about, you know, 20% um, recycled denim. Um, Renewasol, our, our wonderful partners in, in, um, outside of Stockholm, are actually working on increasing that blend level. And, but they're doing it in a way that they're not having to off, they're not offering either a weaker garment or a poor, poor quality garment or a garment that's going to lose that, that, um, that recycle value, retains it. It's really high quality. I'm laughing because I literally, while we were talking, FedEx came and dropped off my jeans to me. (laughs) So perfect timing. And yeah, I just have to say they really are super. I mean, first of all, you cannot tell the difference between this and a standard pair of, of Levi's. Now I would say that they're soft though. And I know you were just talking about the soft quality, but again, I think it's really neat that you've developed a product that is not going to be sort of a second, um, secondhand quality, because I think oftentimes when people hear ethical and sustainable, um, you know, products, they sometimes think they might have to compromise a little bit on price or quality just because it's good for the environment. So, um, just wanted to point that out. No, that's, that's, and that's the, I, I love that you brought that up because that is the false dilemma. That is the false choice that the fashion industry has kind of clung to for a long time. It could either be pretty and pleasing or it could be ethical. And that's BS. The, the opposite of pretty is ugly. The opposite of ethical isn't neutral. It's unethical, right? So let, we have to understand that the choice is you can have an ethical pretty thing or you could have an unethical pretty thing. You could have an ugly ethical thing or an unethical ugly thing, but the, the, it's not a single continuum. And there's been this sort of like the, the, the archetypal sort of sustainable sustainable fashion um, advocate that's very kind of crunchy like you know a lot of hemp a lot of linen kind of coarse fibers a little maybe doesn't fit well you know like there's this there's this like this 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 trope that that uh, that I really want to disprove I don't think it's we don't have to compromise we just have to be really thoughtful about how we put these new sustainable products together and we 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 can't go through the same um, rote learned process of just specking out any old bread or any old um, material. You have to be really mindful of the materials you assemble, where they came from, you know, your materials. You also need to be really, really mindful about how they're going to be taken apart in the end. And, you know, you asked the question what's about what circularity is and what it isn't. A lot of people think that things like um, take-back programs or um, uh, um, rental models or leasing models or, uh, you know, swapping or sharing, those are all great ways to extend the useful life of the garment in the form we know it, but that is extended linearity. It's not actually circularity. So they're both important movements in an ethical fashion, but 
the circularity piece is the one that's the real, that's that real nerdy and sciencey kind of like, you know, is it like for like materials? Is it PE, PET7 plus PET5? Nope, those can't go together. You have to separate the, your, 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 your polymers. These sort of really sort of geeky sciencey kind of things. But if you hold as your standard to deliver product that is as comfortable, fashionable, relevant, and, and attractive as, as any other piece that you would, you would develop and design and deliver in a non-circular model, if you make that your standard, it's a really tough problem. But when you can crack that nut, and I believe we are getting really close to cracking that nut, you come up with a gene like this that's going to look great on you as well, I'm sure. Thanks so much for listening. We'll get back to today's episode in just a second, but we wanted to take a break to recognize a few companies that we've partnered with. Right now, there are thousands of ethical brands out there, which can be confusing and overwhelming. This is why Brightly exists. We are your guide to doing good in the world through conscious consumerism. We personally vet and try products from every single brand that we partner with, both on our podcast and on our platform, Brightly.eco, so that you don't have to do the research yourself. Partnerships like this are what helps Brightly and our community grow and increase our impact. Thank you. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for Sheets and Giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past three months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week, I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, I finally got to try their new eucalyptus comforter. I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even in the middle of the summer. And I haven't been waking up hot when I've been using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down one we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and their materials don't use pesticides. So they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they are passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to their customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters and have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. That's awesome. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsgiggles.com. Yeah, it's very flattering. I, I forgot the this is a wide leg jeans and I, I, I forgot that I actually used to have a pair of them a um, couple of years ago. It's definitely, I think, I guess it's coming back the trend, but it looks really nice and makes your legs look super long. But I always wanted to point out, we always, whenever we talk to ethical brand founders, the successful ones, uh, the successful brand founders, they always know that you know, your product should absolutely stand on its own in terms of quality and design and look and feel and touch and the price point too. Uh, has to, it has to be able to compete with traditional non-ethical brands because the mission, the environmental friendliness, it's never enough for a consumer. Um, so I think this is kind of the approach that you guys are taking with these jeans and I think it will pay off. Well, I, I think it's, you know, we, we often, I, I love that there is a, a burgeoning consciousness in the, in, in the fashion consumption, right? There's an ethical fashion consumer that really does care and does, really does want to know. And that's great. I don't need to worry about them. I need to worry about the people who don't care and don't want to know. And I want to make sure that I'm slipping product into their wardrobe that they don't even know or care about how 
um, how much water it may have saved or how, how the process may be better for the, for the, like, I just want them to love the product, put, put all, all the hard work of knowing about that science crap on me. Let me take that on because I, I love the, the challenge, but let's, let's let the consumer just find the joy of clothes that are beautiful because at the end of the day, if it isn't something that you love because it looks good on you, if it doesn't flatter, it's not comfortable, you're not going to wear it. So if, 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 it's, if it's not consumer friendly, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many trees you save or how many gallons of water you save, if it's just another purchase that's going to sit in the back of the closet not doing anything, that's as unsustainable as it gets. You know, uh, the, the, the most sustainable fashion is the thing you love so often that you wear it every day. And I think we've all been stuck at home not shopping. Right, so we 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 uh, we we surrounded by purchases we probably wish we hadn't made because we could really use that money right now. We'll notice none of us are naked, right? We we we're still like we nobody shopped for five months. It seems like and we've, we so w let let's go forward on the premise that we if we're going to ask people to spend money they don't have on product that they know they they don't need. It damn well better mean something. It better be meaningful, in, um, important product. And I really think these genes sort of live up to that because the other, the other thing is circularity as a concept has been discussed ad nauseum in the, in the sustainable fashion space for, you know, I've been working on projects related to circularity for a better part of a decade. Um, this, this is the first time I believe, I, I shouldn't make this unqualified claim, but in, to my knowledge, the first time a gene has been sent out that's been made from recovered old genes. But we've also worked with RenewCell to, to prove that the way we designed and assembled this gene is recoverable by their system. So we sent a gene back to them to, to have them look at it and validate that, that, that the gene itself would be recoverable within their own system, proving that, that, that these genes made out of second generation material actually can be turned into a third generation material. And so it's the first time that, that, that sort of, that it had looked like a C and we finally got it to look like an O. We finally kind of closed that loop by, by designing in a way that it can go back within the system that made it in the first place. And that's, sort of, that's the excitement here, is that not only is it not a compromise on quality or compromise on comfort, but it's actually, a, 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 like I think the first industry is one of the first strong proof points that circularity isn't a conjectural future state. Circularity can happen now, you can, and these genes are available in all three regions globally, you know, like men's, women's, it's not a small release. It's sort of a real robust, you know, um, industry push forward. So it, it's, it's really exciting. That's so exciting. And I, I think that our listeners are going to learn so much about what the term circular fashion really means coming out of this episode, because I think we all kind of came into it with a few different notions. And so I think by sharing this real, real world example, we're really actively able to educate. And I think that's great. The other thing I wanted to point out was, you know, we've all been at home and, you know, to your point, we're not sitting around naked, but you know, what we are doing is I believe we're all reaching for like three or four pieces that we love <laughs> and wearing the heck out of them. And so I'm hoping that people can use this time to say, okay, I had a really, um, you know, a wonderful favorite fleece jacket that I've kind of now worn to pieces. How do I go find something that's similar, but it's going to last me a long time? Because now that we're putting our clothing, um, you know, may, it might not be our business clothing, <laughs> but we're putting some clothing through its paces. I hope that people can kind of have that mindful reset. Um, and so, but it, yeah, go ahead. 
it, but it also is like it also we have to we get we get now we get to totally redefine what does business clothing mean right because now biz, biz, business clothing and pajama can be uh, you know they can be the same thing and it's also really fun to see now that you're not worried about getting getting spotted at the cafeteria at work or whatever wearing the same outfit in one week now that you're just dressing for yourself what are you really choosing and i think that's a really great place to start you know uh, discuss this uh, place i think it's a really great place to start the discussion about what consumption needs to be going forward we now that now we prioritize comfort that's why i'm so excited that this um gene with circulose is so comfortable because no one wants to be sitting around their sofa on a on, on a on a teams call or zoom call for work in like a, a really you know a stiff rigid pair of 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 of, of, of rod you know, denim that's never been broken in. I think comfort and softness has to be part of our discussion in ways that it hadn't been before. Um, it's less about presentation, it's more about making you feel good because boy, we all need to feel good right now. So I think there's a lot of change that's gonna happen in the way we consume and, and, and what, what it means to be dressed and what it means to, to feel, to, to, I think looking your best is gonna be feeling your best. That's that's a great. Uh, uh, it, it gave me a great inspiration for the next question that uh, we were just thinking to ask you about. So, what are some consumer trends that you're kind of anticipating? I mean, especially again in the age of COVID. I mean, we've done episodes in the beginning of uh, coronavirus, and now we just kind of completely adjusted to this new reality. So, I'm curious what consumer trends and behavior changes and shifts you're expecting uh, coming out of COVID. But I'm also curious about maybe some. Some consumer uh, changes that you've kind of seen over the course of your career and kind of where that led and doesn't give you hope hopefully yeah I, I think one of the interest in, in, in hindsight one of the in, a really interesting phenomenon especially in the, in the denim industry was that 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 rise of the premium denim market and that the this um, uh, a category that had been you know had been had its price point capped below $100, was suddenly in the late 90s, early 2000s, it suddenly had this surge forward to 148, 178, and this notion of the, the fancy premium gene, right? You, like, I think we can all remember those brands and they had some you know, fancy back pocket. Oh yes, yeah. that yeah. was on every, every right. person's wish list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if, but if we think about that, first of all, do any of us still have those in our closet? No, I, I, no. <laughs> I, I, I certainly have, pairs of Levi's that were purchased prior to that phase when I, and, you know, nowhere near working for the company. I was still living in New York working for other brands, but I had Levi's that I bought, you know, I have Levi's from the early nineties that are still in rotation today. Whereas all those, many of those premiums, quote unquote, premium styles came and went. And if we pull back and look at what, what, why were they premium? Well, look, that, that, that they were by and large, many of them were, they were um, small unit production made in the United States. So fundamentally higher labor. But they were often off of the same cloth as a less premium gene that was, you know, that was um, made in a different industrial context. And, and it was a lot of branding and a little bit of embroidery on the back pocket. But the value was, pu was purely an invented value. It was, not an, it was not an objective value. It was not a value that was embedded in the product you purchased. You were, you were, you were buying into a series of externalities, but fundamentally the object you purchased was, it was in no way I mean, the cotton came out of the ground, watered by the same water, same minerals, often likely same fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, unfortunately. But, you know, in many cases, the, the, um, uh, you know, a vertically integrated specialty store at the mall that was selling a jean for $38 was that same exact quality could have been found at one of the, you know, 
uh, denim boutiques in LA on a $200 jean. There was no objective material distinction except for a little bit too much fancy design work. Um, I think the interesting evolution is that we're coming around. It doesn't feel like we've rejected that, but what we've done is we've realigned what constitutes premium, where we find value. Um, you know, and that I think a lot of people would rather have a great pair of Japanese salvaged Levi's jeans that they know is going to last a long, long time. And there's a certain value that that reflects. And I think people want to be associated with those sorts of values. If they're going to advertise, they want to advertise um, a, 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 a sort of a, a, a valuing the, dur the durable, authentic quality. That's what they want to, they want to celebrate with, what they want to associate with, not necessarily the of the moment gene with the, the flashy back pocket or the most pronounced boot cut or anything. I think it's, there's been an, there's been a, um, a, a, an evolving consciousness that we're not to the point where we've re constrained consumption, but we've certainly realigned consumption around things that matter more. And now the next piece of work is to say, um, now that we've been you know, working from our sofas and voting for that, basically the two sweatshirts and one pair of shorts that I like most, right? How do I make sure I'm shopping against those standards? What are the, what qualities can I assign to those things that I wear the most? And, may, and now I need to make sure that I'm bringing that list of qualities to, I mean, not to the mall, obviously, <laughs> but you know, when, when going shopping online, being more mindful of the things that are, are really triggering affinity and rejecting some of the, you know, the, the, the sillier motivations. I, I sit alone in my apartment surrounded by a bunch of bad, bad mistaken purchases, things I should never have bought. And they're, they're everywhere and they haunt me. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know they, they call at me at night and say, why did you buy me? Like there are things that I've even bought since going in lockdown uh, at the very beginning when I was like thinking I was still gonna need, you know, outfits for, you know, spring vacation. Uh, they, they came and I haven't worn. And, really rethinking about what matters and where I want to invest. I think that's, that's, that's what's next. I think we've made progress rejecting the sort of useful and, and embracing the, 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 rejecting the useless and embracing the useful. And I think um, it, it will go further. And um, we're going to, I think, really start to focus and, and, and sharpen our consumption habits. Uh, we are coming to the end of the episode, Paul, but we love to ask our guests uh, the same three questions. Um, so the first question, uh, we always love to leave our listeners with actionable tips that they can implement in their everyday life uh, and make, um, do make their life more ethical. So do you have some quick actionable tips that can be very simple? Any, any of your favorites uh, share with us, please. Okay. Well, uh, so I guess I'd say one tip for living and one tip for uh, uh, shopping. Uh, so I think in all t at all times and in all things that you do, um, look look people in the eye and uh, and become aware of them as people, and uh, and embrace the likely unknown backstory on everyone that you know as bad a day as you have, are having, they're having it worse. As 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 happy as something can make you, maybe your kindness can make them e equally happy. Just look people in the eye, then. With, when, with, with as far as ethical consumption, you know, which is what we're talking about, um, if, you, if you see something you like and, you know, that you really want to buy, um, it, is, it is really important that you don't buy it. You don't. You, you look at it and then you walk away. Um, if, when you're having dinner that, later that evening with your partner, your friends, like, are you thinking about it? When you go to bed at night, 
ask yourself to describe, try to describe it, like really out loud, thoroughly describe the thing that you were about to buy. What, I mean, did it strike you enough to make an impression that you can recall 10 attributes? Like when you wake up the next day, do, are you thinking about it? Uh, or has it kind of slipped your mind? And you'll find in a lot of cases, it slipped your mind, right? Even if you could describe it when you went to bed at night, you probably can't describe it in the morning. That's a strong argument for not buying it. If, if, however, you have, you can recite all those 10 attributes, you can everything that you loved about it, and, and you know exactly what hole it fills in your closet, go ahead and buy it, right? Like, don't, don't, don't hold it, don't be a monk, don't be an, you know, a, 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 don't deprive yourself entirely of the joys of fashion, right? We love it for a reason, right? But just be a little more yes. <laughs> diligent about how you purchase, right? Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, and then our last question we have for you, Paul, um, is one that we love to ask folks, which is, what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable lifestyle movement right now? It's not so much of an excitement thing. Uh, you know, when someone comes into a, a, a meeting, you know, this actually happened with the president of Levi's one time, and he was giving me a little pushback on ask, when I was asking for funding for a project like this Renew Assault project. Um, and, and I, I, um, I was trying to, to explain or, or justify my position. And, and I thought the best way to do it was I took away his bottle of water that he was drinking. Um, what I'm not excited about ethical, sustainable um, fashion movement. I'm simply thirsty. And um, anything other than this movement towards more sustainable um, consumption will deprive this water, this planet of water. Um, you know, when one gene equals 3,781 liters of fresh water, and there are, you know, near 700 and, nearly 750 million people experiencing severe thirst from, from lack of access to drinking water on a daily basis, I'm not, I, we don't need to get excited about fashion. There's, an, there's simply an imperative to change the way we consume, because the way we consume right now in the developed world is depriving the developing world of the basic fundamental human rights, clean air, clean water, and decent soil to grow their, to grow their food. And so it's, um, uh, the, the fact that we're making progress to me is exciting, but it's, it's by no means something to celebrate. You don't, you don't get to celebrate when you, for, for depriving someone of water less or for poisoning someone's water less or for killing someone's soil a little less. You get to celebrate when, every, when, when everyone on the planet has equal access to fresh water and, and healthy food grown in soil that is healthy. And um, so we, we need to stay diligent and mindful of the progress we've made, but also the incredible work that still has to be done. Wow, that's, yeah, it's so powerful, Paul. We really appreciate that. And we totally agree. I mean, I think we've got a lot of work to do, but the more we can sort of roll up our sleeves and find creative ways um, to tackle some of these problems from a conscious consumer perspective, the better. Um, and so we just want to thank you so much for joining us on Good Together. I, for one, learned a ton. I know you did too, Lisa, right? <laughs> yeah. I just, I really appreciate these conversations. I'm so excited that everyone's been taking their lockdown time to learn and get better informed. I mean, it's, it's really, there's just been this wonderful growth in curiosity. And I've seen it in all, from everyone I know and all these different um, sort of trend lines towards better informed consumers coming out of this. And I'm really if, if there is a silver lining, it's too soon to look for one. Hopefully we'll all come out of this at just better people and kinder, more empathetic, and certainly better consumers. Absolutely, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.